0: Welcome to the July 28th episode of the Enjoying the Bible podcast. I'm Matt Ellis and I'm the pastor of the First Baptist Church in Polk City, Florida. Today's reading is Psalm 46 through 48 and Acts chapter 28, but we'll focus only on the New Testament in this podcast. If you have any questions about anything in the Old Testament or New Testament reading assignment, please email me at mattellis1997 at gmail.com. I may answer it on the next podcast. Okay, so as we come to Acts chapter 28, we uh, arrive at the very last chapter of this book of Acts, and um, it finds us a little bit south of Italy uh, as Paul is on his way to Rome uh, as he's going to appear before Caesar. Um, I just, I'm going to give a summary, a little bit of a summary as we go through this chapter. I'm not going to read every verse and not going to comment on every verse, but like I said, if you've got any questions, email me at mattellis Ellis, 1997 at gmail.com, uh, in verse uh, one, it says that they got to Malta and just so that you can kind of visualize this Italy, if you've, and I'm almost certainly you've looked at it on a map, it looks like a boot, looks like a boot with, uh, you know, a heel and a toe. Okay, so if you could imagine that boot, the boot of Italy, well, the toe touches a big landmass called Sicily. And right below Sicily is a, couple, a few islands, and one of them is Malta. So that's where they have landed in verse 1 in Malta. It's south of Sicily, which is right at the toe of Italy. And it's uh, Malta is an island. Uh, And so it says in verse 2 that the people were extraordinarily kind to the Apostle Paul. And, uh, you know, they took care of him. They helped him. But in verses 3 through 4, or actually verses 3 through 6, we see that the Apostle Paul, as the fire was lit, apparently it was cold. um, And so they needed some heat. As uh, the fire was lit, a snake, a poisonous snake, jumped out of the fire and grabbed a hold of. Of uh, Paul's hand, and so he just shook the the snake off, and uh, so we read that uh, you know in in these verses where those that watch said, "Oh, he must have been a criminal," and so it's this sense of justice that you know if if someone has done something wrong, then then there is within us a desire for justice, and in fact an expectation of justice. And that's what the book of Psalms is about, is oftentimes the psalm is crying out for justice when it seems like justice is not happening, because a lot of times in our mind, we want justice to happen now. And so that's what happens as they're watching the apostle Paul, they see the snake jump out, poisonous snake bite him, and he shakes it off, and they think, ah, justice, he must have done something really bad, and so the gods are bringing justice upon him. Um, And then when nothing happens to him, as they're watching for him to maybe sit down and shake his head and then fall over dead, when that doesn't happen, they go to the other extreme and say, oh, he must be a god. Um, And it just shows the fickle nature of humanity and how uh, unable we often are to actually perceive what truth is. Uh, because he was neither a criminal, nor was he a god. And so they got it wrong on both occasions. And so we read about that uh, up until verse 6. When we get get to verses 7 through 10, uh, we're introduced to a guy named Publius. And it's a nice Roman name. And uh, Publius was uh, kind to the Apostle Paul and to his entourage and was taking care of them. And so it seems like it was... Maybe a returning of the favor, or simply because Publius was someone in the Apostle Paul's eyes, the Apostle Paul noticed that Publius's father... Uh, had a fever, and my translation says dysentery. Now, when I looked that word up in a Greek lexicon called launida, those are the last two names of uh, some guys, launida, the Greek lexicon, it said that this was a disease of the intestinal tract that caused pain and diarrhea. So this was a very painful, messy sort of disease. And so the Apostle Paul healed Uh, This man, he healed him. And so what happens whenever uh, Jesus in the Gospels healed someone? Or what happens whenever Peter healed someone in the the first half of the book of Acts? Or what happens when the apostle Paul heals someone? Well, others notice, and then they say, ah, he has the power to heal. And so they would bring other sick people. And that's what we see happening um, in verse 9. Many people on the island were bringing their sick people to Paul, and he was healing. Um, just a little aside, <clears throat> can God still heal through an individual? I'm not going to say no, but I do believe that the gift of healing was in, was given to and trusted to and empowered, given to apostles and empowered by the Holy Spirit within them. And so it's my belief that honestly, my conviction that when the apostles died in the first century, that the gift of healing is gone. It's its n- no longer there. That doesn't mean that God can't heal. It doesn't mean that God cannot bring healing through a Christian praying over someone else, praying a prayer of faith. That can happen, and someone can be healed. But as far as the the frequency of it that we see in, in the first century with the apostles, um, we just don't see that. That's not common in Christianity now. That was a first century gift as the apostles were alive and as the, the early church was getting its start. The gift of healing was, I think, twofold. Uh, probably more than that, but at least twofold. And let's see if I can remember this because I'm not looking at notes right now. Uh, one, the gift of healing was to show that Jesus did not come just to deal with sin, but to also deal with sin's consequences, right? Um, Jesus didn't come just to deal with sin. He came to remedy sin's consequences, That's why Jesus healed. Um, He he came not only to forgive sinners, but to also help them as they are suffering the consequences of living in a sin-sick world. And it really foreshadows heaven, where we will not only not have sin anymore, but we will not have consequences of sin. And what's the greatest consequence of sin? Death. And so that's why Paul, in the book of Romans, talked about how that death has died and and death has been defeated. Uh, He spoke about that because he was saying that the extent of the atonement is that Jesus died to Uh, breaks sin's chains on everyone who will trust in him. And he also came to eradicate the consequences of sin. And so that's one of the things that's happening is Paul, as he's healing people, is showing that Christ not only came to ultimately forgive sinners of their sin, but also to eradicate as a foretaste of what heaven is going to be like, the fact that the consequences of sin is gone. But the second thing that that healing did is it validated, it drew attention to and validated the messenger because you know that whenever he healed Publius, his father, that uh, you know, other people noticed. They were paying attention. They were seeing that power rests in this man. And so, what did Paul do? He pointed to Jesus. And so, the healings not only were a dealing with the consequences of sin, but they were a way of grabbing attention and validating the messenger who was speaking the truth of the gospel and about Jesus. And So we see that he healed, and so the people there in Malta were just doing some wonderful things and providing for Paul and his entourage's needs. When we get to verses 11 through 16, uh, we see that they left Malta and they're on their way to Rome. Um, and so they stayed in Malta. We're told in verse 11, they stayed in Malta for three months. And then verse 12, they went to Syracuse. Well, Syracuse is now on that big rock. Again, if you could imagine Italy being a boot with that toe, well, the toe was touching a big landmass. That's Sicily. And so in verse 12, they arrived in Syracuse. That's in Sicily. And then when you get to verse thirteen, Regium, uh, that's at the toe. Like if you you know think of that boot, if you've got a you know a the toe of that boot, and even the toenail, well that's where Regium is. And so now they are in Italy, and they continue to sail up the western coast until they arrive in Rome in verse fourteen. Until they arrive in Rome at verse 14. So the believers were told in uh, verses 15 and 16, the believers came to visit Paul and they encouraged him. Which leads me to believe that, uh, as Luke said, that, you know, that, uh, let's see, okay, verse 15 it says, now the brothers and sisters from there had heard the news about us and had come to meet us as far as the forum of the Appius and the three taverns. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. He took courage. So that tells me that he, when Luke is saying he took courage, that means that there may have been some timidity, maybe some discouragement in Paul's heart. He is a human after all. And so this shows that the Apostle Paul who was struggling, as you and I often struggle when life gets kind of tough and we don't know what tomorrow's going to hold, there's nothing so sweet as fellow believers coming to encourage us, encouraging us in the Lord. And that's what's going on with the Apostle Paul. Well, we read that uh in verse 16 when we entered Rome, so we the, the we text, so it's the first person plural, Luke is still with Paul as uh, verse 28 as chapter 28 is being written, at least the first part of it, says when we entered Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with the soldier who guarded him. So Paul was put under house arrest And uh, you know, this is probably where Paul wrote the prison epistles. The prison epistles. There's four of them: Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. And so, those four prison epistles, where uh, Paul spoke about his chains and uh, uh, a uh, you know when when he talks about his chains in those four, a prisoner of Christ, he calls himself. Um, this is probably that time when he wrote that he would have written it from Rome when he was under house arrest. And so, uh, he's under house arrest. And we learn later on that this actually toward the end of the chapter that he was under house arrest in Rome for two years, but I'm going to share a little something with you, um, when we get to that passage. So he was here under house arrest, had a Roman guard watching over him. Well, in verses 17 through 22, Uh, Paul calls for the leaders of the Jews. So the Jewish leaders, he calls them after he's been in Rome for three days, getting settled in, he's in a place of lodging, a house, uh, where he's being watched by a guard. After he's been there three days, he called for the Jewish leaders in Rome and told them of the story of how it is that he had come to be in Rome and how the Jews had uh, spoken against him and accused him of things that were not true. Well, the response that we get from these Jewish leaders in verses 21 and 22 is that they said, you know what, we haven't even heard of this. Uh, we don't have text message. We don't have, you know, Fox News or CNN. We don't have anything we can look at to see what's going on on the other side of the world. So we don't know what you're talking about, but you have, you're intriguing, Paul. Um, and so we would love to hear what you have to say. And so Paul was more than glad Uh, to spend some time with them, explaining to them uh, the truths about Jesus and bringing to them the message of Jesus and the gospel from the Old Testament. Well, in verses 23 um, and 24, it says, After arranging a day with him, many... Came to him at his lodging, and from dawn to dusk, that means sun up to sundown, from dawn to dusk, he expounded and testified about the kingdom of God. And remember, the Apostle Paul has the Old Testament, he's writing two thirds of the books that would be the New Testament. But many of the books have not even been written yet, and so as he's expounding and talking about the kingdom of God, he is referring to the Old Testament. Friend, I want you to know, the Old Testament is not irrelevant to us. It's not like we can say the New Testament is important to us, but we can write off the Old Testament, we can unhitch from it, it's really not important to us. It's, it's got some difficult parts in it that a contemporary culture in America particularly does not like, and so we can kind of get rid of the Old Testament so that we can say we're New Testament believers. It is true that we're New Testament believers, but I'm telling you that the New Testament Apostle Paul spoke to these Jewish leaders about the kingdom of God from the Old Testament. I'm telling you, the Old Testament is chock full of wonderful gospel truths. It is fascinating to go looking for those things. And I just want you to know that's what he was using. In fact, it says he tried to persuade them, verse 23, he tried to persuade them about Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets. From both the law of Moses and the prophets. And so what Luke is saying when he says the law of Moses and the prophets, he's saying the law of Moses which is the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and the prophets includes everything else. All of them spoke as God gave them the ability to speak. And so he is reading and reasoning from the Old Testament to proclaim New Testament truth. Friend, I just want to encourage you, don't write off the Old Testament. Dig into the Old Testament. It is in that section of Scripture, the first two-thirds of the Bible that we have that there are so many profound, wonderful truths that we can understand even more because we do live in the New Testament. Um, So enjoy the Old Testament. It says in verse 24, some were persuaded by what he said, but others did not believe. And so we realize that once again, the Jews, and it happened to every crowd that, that Jesus spoke in, Paul spoke in, Peter spoke in, but there were those that believed and those that didn't. It does say in verses 25 that disagreeing among themselves, they began to leave after Paul made the statement. So what we're told is Paul is about to say something, and that was the catalyst that caused the Jews to get disgruntled and to leave. And so what did he say? This is what he said in verse 25 and 26. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your ancestors through the prophet Isaiah when he said... And then what Paul did is he quoted Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. He quoted Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. And basically, and you can read that for yourself in uh, Acts chapter 28, verses 26 and 27, or you can go to Isaiah 6, 9 and 10. You can see it in both places that that passage is essentially saying that there is truth, but there are people who will not listen to truth. There, are, there is truth, and there are people who will not listen to truth. In fact, their hearts will be hard and calloused against that truth, uh, because you know, if if they did believe in the truth, if they did trust in the Lord, then they could be saved and forgiven and brought into a relationship with God. But because they were resistant and calloused against that truth, and they didn't want to hear it, then they were lost and dead in their sins. And so that's what Isaiah chapter 6 verses 9 and 10 said, and that's what Paul was saying. And Paul said, Jews, Jewish leaders of Rome, these were your ancestors. Okay, so that ticked them off. They didn't want to hear that their ancestors were so blind to truth. But yet, when you read in that passage, it's clear, and we know from our own experience that you can share the gospel with someone, and there are some who will trust in Jesus, and they will genuinely give their heart and life to Jesus, and there will others will be others who are indifferent, or who are angered, or who will look down on you and condes- uh, with a condescending tone in their voice. There are any number of ways in which there are those who embrace it and those who will reject it. And so when Paul said that, they left. Whenever we get to verse 28, it says, Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. This is now the third and the final time in the book of Acts that Paul basically says, Jews, I keep reaching out to you, but you will not respond. You will not respond. And so I'm going to go to the Gentiles. I'm going to go to the Gentiles. And uh, one of the things that we see in uh, Romans is, and I'm, I'm drawing a blank right now. I think it's Romans 9 and 10. But one of the things that we see is Paul spoke about this in theological terms. He said that the Jews are going through a time now where they have been kind of taken away from the vine and the Gentiles have been grafted into the vine so that we now, the Gentiles now, it's the time of the Gentiles being saved. But Paul said in that passage in Romans, uh, in those chapters, that there's coming a time when God in His grace is going to regraft the Jews back into that vine. I believe there's coming a time of renewal and revival of the Jewish nation that they will turn to Jesus. That's not happening now. It's not happening now at all. Uh, Israel, uh, Jews are one of the most secular people on the face of the earth. Uh, that's not happening now, but there is coming a time based on the authority of scripture that the Jews will come to Jesus. And, uh, so then we come to the last two verses and you might say, wait a second, where's verse 29? I just want you to know that in verse 29, verse 29 does not appear in the Christian standard Bible that I have. Uh, I, there are some other translations that do not have verse 29. I just want you to know that uh, the reason why verse 29 is not in here is it's not found in the most reliable manuscripts. There's a few verses like this in scripture where the King James added it in and uh, it was the, the the King James that you know had the chapters and verses added to it. And so as as textual critics have looked, and as the archaeological digs have happened, and they've dug up older and newer manuscripts and compared them, uh, there there is a question on a handful of verses as to whether or not it was truly a part of the original writing. Uh, and so, according to the, the translators of the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible that I use, um, they do not believe that verse 29 is a part of the original text. Now, if the King James had not been written, uh, then we would never know the difference. <laughs> We'd never know the difference. There would be no 29 omitted because because it was the King James that had the chapters and verses. And uh, so anyway, I just want you to know that that, that's what's going on. It's omitted. Verse 29 is omitted because the King James has verse 29, but it's debated as to whether or not it was in the original uh, manuscripts. Um, And uh, but, you know, since the King James was the one of the front texts uh, to have chapters and verses. Um, then you can't just reorder verses in the newer translations. You can't do that. You have to go, because otherwise it would become so difficult in saying, hey, turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 28, verse 29. Well, it would be a different verse in different translations. So just trying to maintain consistency in all of the translations, the newer translations just omit some of those verses. So uh, we get to the last two verses, verses 30 and 31. Paul stayed two whole years in his own rented house, and he welcomed all who visited him, so he had freedom here, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Okay, so as this book ends, I want to bring something to your attention that um, maybe you uh, haven't thought about. It tells us, uh, Luke tells us as he, led by the Spirit, wrote the book of Acts. In verse 30, it says, Paul stayed two whole years in his own rented house. Well, one of the things he doesn't say is at the end of these two years, he was martyred. He didn't say that. He knows that he only stayed two years, but he doesn't tell us that he was killed. He doesn't tell us that he was martyred. And you would think that if this was the occasion where he would die at the end of this imprisonment, then Luke, knowing that he's going to be in Rome for two years, if death was what ended it at two years, he would have included the death, but he didn't. And so it seems as if he stayed under house arrest for two years, and then many people believe, and I believe it's very credible, that Paul was released for a season before once again being taken prisoner and then in Rome finally being a martyr. I don't think that this is when that happened. I don't think this is when that happened. In fact, it's very, very possible that the Apostle Paul left this Roman imprisonment after two years, and so he was released, and it's possible that Paul went to Spain to the country of Spain, and maybe with some of you, you're saying, what, Spain? I've never heard of such a thing. Just write down Romans chapter 15, verses 22 through 29. Romans chapter 15, verses 22 through 29. If you have to hit pause and go back to get that passage, then do that right now. Romans 15, 22 through 29. Because in that passage, Paul makes it very clear as he's writing to the Romans that uh, he wanted to go to Spain. He wanted to go to Spain. And so it's quite possible that he made good on that. Now, so we don't have the accounts of that. Well, some have also speculated as to uh, Luke's intentions as the Holy Spirit was leading him or moving him. Luke wrote a two-volume uh, two-volume series. One is called The Gospel of Luke, in which he recounted Jesus and all of his act- many of his activities and words. Not all, but many of his activities and words. And then the second volume that Luke wrote was the Book of Acts that we've just finished. And this is the story of the church getting started, right? Until the time that Paul has been in prison in Rome for two years. And so it is speculated that Luke may have wanted to have a three-part series, you know, have a three-volume series, a trilogy, if you would. And uh, maybe the three-part series would be, the third book would be, okay, so what happened to Paul, and did he go to Spain? Write about that, Luke, tell us. And then, you know, what about the events that led to uh, Paul's... uh, being captured and taken captive again in the Aegean area, and then he ended up in Rome. Tell us about that, Luke. And then as he—give us a context for when he wrote 2 Timothy, as as it's clear in 2 Timothy that that's his very last book that he's going to write, his very last letter, actually. And Luke, tell us about that. It may be that Luke had intended to write a third book. It may have been his intention— But uh, the Holy Spirit, for some reason, either did not lead him to write the book or did not preserve that book. And so we do not believe it's Scripture. We believe that the Lord is powerful enough not just to work through writers um, to enable them to write down what is his word, But if the Lord's powerful enough to write through those 40 writers that would write scripture, then he's certainly powerful enough to preserve those books. And so since we don't have that third book, and we don't even know that he wrote it, but since we don't have that third book, clearly it was not God's intention for that book to be written or to be preserved. And uh, then again, we, we just need to step back and say, okay, what was the purpose anyway of the book of Acts? Was it to highlight the Apostle Paul? No, not really. The Book of Acts really wasn't to highlight Paul, it was to highlight the Holy Spirit's work in the church and the growth of the church in the book of Acts. Paul just happened to be one of the key players. And so um it's just an intriguing thought to, to speculate as to whether or not Luke wanted to write a third book. I don't believe that the end of Acts was the end of Paul's life. I think that he was released, that he probably went to Spain, as was his intention, as I mentioned in Romans 15, and then finally was taken prisoner again, and then he was he was martyred for the faith. So I hope you've enjoyed uh, this chapter. It's a little bit more extemporaneous uh, than previously. This is going to be easier for me. I think this is the format that I'm going to do. Uh, so I hope you enjoy it, and I'm looking forward to catching back with it, up with you tomorrow. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, the gospel is powerful. It's the message of your life, death, and burial, and resurrection, and it's a free gift to anyone who will place their trust in you to forgive them, save them, and fit them for heaven. Help us, Lord Jesus, to be found faithful as the story of the gospel's progress now has the spotlight aimed directly at us. There was a time whenever it was focused upon Peter and Paul and so many others, but now it's upon us. May we always be ready and willing to share the good news with those that we encounter. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. I hope today's episode has helped you to understand and enjoy God's Word so that you can apply it in the power of the Holy Spirit. If looking over the notes for this podcast would be beneficial to you, hop on over to my website at matsmusings.net. I'll provide a link for my website in this episode's show notes. The Enjoying the Bible podcast is a ministry of the First Baptist Church in Polk City, Florida. Check us out at fbcpolkcity.com. See you next time.